0: Welcome to an inspirational teaching by Pastor Victor De Monte, the senior pastor of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. This morning we're going to look at part two on the topic of faith towards God. We finished part one, faith towards God, the second part of faith towards God. Now God has called every single believer To walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. And we've seen walking by sight is walking according to the five physical senses that we all have. What we see, what we hear, what we taste, etc. Faith involves our entire being. Faith calls us to a place where our spirit, our soul, and our mind is influenced by what we hear from God. That's what faith is. It involves every part of us. Now... I said this last time, and I'm going to repeat it. Faith begins in our spirit. Hope is in our mind. Confession is with our mouth, and works is with our body. You got that? That's what faith does. It impacts every part of us. Can you say that? Faith origins in my spirit. Hope is in my mind. Confession is with my mouth, and works is with my body. It doesn't work the other way around. It starts with your spirit and outworks itself in our body. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, the Bible says, So then, faith comes by hearing, and by hearing the word of God. So how, does, how do we grow in faith? It, we grow and develop in faith because we hear the word, and then hear the word again. Now, I want to r- explain to you the importance of hearing. Now, there's an emphasis on the hearing part. Faith comes, so then faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Why does the Bible emphasize on hearing? Because faith originates by what we hear. Now, the marketing world has discovered this, and it bombards us with advertisements on the television. If you want to skip it, you can't skip it. And now they tailor make the advertisements so that it may, you have no option but to hear what they say. The more you hear what they say selling their product, the more faith you'll have to buy it, isn't that true? And today we've all fallen to that strategy. They come to your home, they will give you nice pictures, good brochures, they will play things, you'll have recorded music, all to get information across to us by what we hear. What you see and what you hear affects the way you live. Can you say that after me, please? What I see and what I hear affects the way I live. you like to tell someone that? What you see, tell the person next to you, what you see and what you hear affects the way you live. You see, biblical faith is always based on hearing the word of God. Now, it starts with first hearing. Then why does the Bible say, and hearing the word of God. Now I went to the Greek. I checked up the Greek in this. I told you I'm no scholar of Greek. But there are certain things that you need to look at the, at the Greek for. The first part of hearing is passive hearing. So what you are doing this morning is passive hearing. You're hearing the word of God. You're hearing testimonies. It's passive but in order for, for that faith to mature it says by hearing the word of god what's the difference the uh, the second word hearing is active hearing is active that means hearing with action there is something that corresponds to what you believe hearing the word of god now very interesting you ever had your mother or your father tell me get you get, tell you get me a glass of water and you didn't do it You all had that? And then he said, second time, get me a glass of water. And they didn't, and you didn't do it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? What did your parents say? Did you hear what I'm saying? How many of you identify with that? And the minute you get that, didn't you hear what I'm saying? Didn't tell you, get me water. Didn't you hear, you quickly jump up and you get the water. You know what that means? You actually hear when you do something. That's when you actually heard. We are not just listening to the Word of God. We're hearing the Word of God. We're hearing what God has to say. God considers active hearing as a means to grow and mature in faith. What you do with what, you, what information you get produces faith in your life. Now, I'm going to say this in passing. It says hearing and hearing the Word of God. Now, in the Greek, it says a Word of God. The rhema word of God. And now in our given situation, there is something specific that God gives you, a promise that God gives you. When you hear and hear that promise that God has given birth in your spirit, it ignites faith. It takes confidence. It produces confidence that you never had confidence that was not there before that rhema word that word of god that is in your spirit affects you it takes you to a higher level of operating in the spiritual realm that comes by the rhema word when you read the bible you read it with an expectancy of god speaking to you that's how you read the bible when you have those words jump out from the bible You know what I'm talking? Those verses suddenly catch your attention. That's God speaking to you. And you can't shake away what God is saying. Your mind goes back to that scripture, goes back to that verse. Someone speaks that word to you in in a random manner. No context, but they share that word with you. God is speaking to you. Hold on to that. Let that word inspire confidence and hope which produces action. Now that's how we grow in faith. Now there are many stories, I don't know which one to start, which to eliminate, but I will try and punctuate with a few testimonies and stories of how faith develops. Just hearing and putting action. I remember my days in the Bible college, sat down on my mat, hopeless and dejected. I flipped through the pages of the Bible, and I asked myself, am I going to be a fool basing my entire life on the words of the written in this book 2,000 years ago? And I kept flipping it. And I said, am I, am I basing my entire life, my entire future? People told me, pick up a trade in case plan A fails. You can have plan B. Thank God I didn't listen to them. I forgave them after that. You know, we are taught to have plan B and plan C. I want to tell you, God has only plan A, full stop. There's no comma after plan A, full stop. And so I looked at it, and after a couple of minutes, I thought, reflected on the things that God said to me and God did. And I decided to live my entire life based on this word. When God will speak a promise, I will highlight that promise, pray that promise, meditate on that promise, and I will put that promise into come to pass, I will write the date God fulfilled that promise in my life. And I said one thing to myself. If I'm going to teach people to live by faith, I've got to start doing it myself. And I cultivated an attitude towards God of deep respect for the Word of God, to live by faith, and it's well worth it. And I'm going to continue my message. So biblical faith starts with just accepting the Word of God as the will of God in your life. I'm going to say that again. When you begin to accept the word of God, not as another religious book, not as a book of rules, but as the will of God in your life. The New Testament means the new will that God has for for you and me. When you embrace the word of God as the will of God, you will not compromise it. You will not want to deviate from the right to the left, and that's what God told Joshua. Do not turn to the left or the right. Take the word, meditate on it, and obey everything that, is written therein the word of god has instructions is about god speaking to you concerning your marriage concerning your finances concerning your health concerning everything that's involved in your life everything is there in the word you notice when we look at hebrews chapter 11 two things faith and obedience always go together faith inspires obedience faith prompts you to do something In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, it says, "By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things yet not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for saving of his household." Now we've gone used to Sunday school stories, you know Noah, and we emphasize on the ark, and we emphasize of how the animals came in two by two. I want to tell you something: in our midst of us, in a time where it was impossible for a flood, impossible. God tells Noah to do something, build an ark. Build an ark so huge. Do you know when you read the Bible how people mocked at him? He was one of the few that were God-fearing. Probably you are in that situation. Everyone around you despises you. But it takes a man of conviction to hear God and do what God tells him to do. In the midst of opposition, in the midst of, a, of all everything that's against him, he builds this huge ark. Because God told him to do it. And then the flood comes, you know the story. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, he just obeyed God. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, by faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she, I like this one, she judged him. She judged him. He, she judged God faithful who had promised. Her faith was in God who made the promise. Not the promise who, that God made, but in God who made the promise. That's why, look, you know, part one, Her faith must be anchored in a person, not just a promise. Considered, she judged him being faithful of what he had promised. If you want more of that, it's in Hebrews chapter 11. I stopped to make the message short. These were ordinary people, but they had faith and obedience Faith and obedience always go together. Faith always has corresponding actions. You know how much of faith you have in your heart by what you do, by what you speak. The outworking of it will tell you whether there is faith in your heart or just faith in your mind. There are two different things. Faith in your mind is just positive thinking, wishful thinking. Faith in your heart spurs you to do something that you would not normally do. Faith always ignites obedience. When our obedience is inspired by faith, it builds a bridge between the physical realm to the spiritual realm. That's what faith and obedience does. In a place of dryness, in a place of hopelessness. We looked at it and probably you know stories in the Bible. When there is faith and obedience, it takes you from one realm of hopelessness and the physical realm to a place of the spiritual realm. Puts you in a new dimension. I did this, and I normally tell Bible students or people who are desiring to, to go on with God, do a study in the Bible of all the times that the Bible talks about belief or faith. Just do a study. And I came to my conclusion that ultimately, if there is anything, anything that God requires from us, the one thing is faith. You see, unbelief inspires disobedience, or provokes us to disobedience. That's what unbelief does. Faith always provokes us to obedience. Wherever there is disobedience, there's unbelief. Wherever there's obedience, there's faith. Inspired by faith. And so this is what happens. If I'm standing in this physical realm, guess where the spiritual realm is? Just one step. What makes me move from this realm to this realm? What makes me move from a place of impossibility to a place of being possible is one thing, belief. Belief transports me. Belief is that bridge between the physical realm and the spiritual realm. That's what faith does. Faith and obedience builds the bridge that takes you from a place of hopelessness to a place of hope, from a place of defeat to a place of victory. Two things, faith and obedience. In fact, I like to say it's one thing because faith without obedience is not faith. In Romans chapter 4 verse 13, the Bible says for the promise that he would have to be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed. The promise that God gave to Abraham that he would be an heir was not to just Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness and everyone say the word faith, faith. It didn't come through the law, but it came, the promise came to him of being the father of the nations through faith. It goes on to say in verse 14, for if those who are of the law are heirs, then faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. If we are children of God by the law, then we don't require faith. All we need is effort, human effort. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to... I'm tired just saying it. You don't get, we are not called to be the children of Moses. We are called to be the children of Abraham. What's the difference? Abraham received the promise by faith. Moses was the one who brought the law because God told him to get the law. But the Bible calls us the seed of Abraham because Abraham is our mortal. Abraham is the father of the nations, We are not only the children of God, but children of Abraham. How? Spiritually, by believing, by faith. He says, you don't receive the inheritance of being called a child through the law, through Abraham, but, but through faith. That's why the Bible is saying the righteousness of faith. Now, I just want to break this down in simple terms. It's by faith we pray and believe that God answers our prayer. All right? You didn't hear that. It's by faith you pray, believing that God answers your prayer. You don't pray and when God answers, oh my God, I was so surprised God actually answered. You know, that's nothing but an act of God's mercy. When you pray, you expect God to answer your prayer. And when you do it, you just smile and say, thank you, Lord. Are you with me? You're not like that lady that looks out of a window and says, Oh God, let this mountain be removed. And then close the window curtains, goes back to sleep, opens the next day and looks at the mountain and says, Oh, I knew it wouldn't go. There are many Christians like that. You pray, but you have no faith that it will move. You know what? You're only pacifying yourself that you prayed, but actually your prayers just went two feet above you. That's all. Sorry to, to say that, just two feet, not even ten feet, two feet. People ask me, pray for me. I am so tempted. Now I have the congregation to say this before you. So let me take my choicest moment. I ask them the question, do you want me to pray for you or do you want me to believe for you? If I told people, I prayed for one hour for you, my God, they feel so tired. If I tell people, I'm trusting God for you, huh, okay. And you know what? It's your faith that is more important than your prayer. Prayer can come out of religious activity. And don't tell me people don't know how to pray religiously. They can go, please, Lord, please, Lord, I beg you, Lord, I touch your feet, Lord, 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 Lord. Lord, you know my situation, and you tell all your situation to God as if he never knows it. The only reason you told him is for your emotional healing. Nothing else. And you come back the next day and you tell the same thing to God. God, you know my problem, Lord. You know my problem, Lord. (laughs) My problem. Hey, you know, you don't moan in God. I mean, there's a place to express your emotions to God, for God to heal you. Fantastic. Get up from that place of mourning. How many times God is going to see your tears and cry the same prayer? Think of God, how bored he must be feeling. Soon as he looked at you, oh, he's going to cry and say the same thing. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not... Despising your tears and your, your mourning, there is a place for the expression of for your emotions, and there's a place for your tears. But you can 't stay the rest of your life just moaning. you 've got to move from a place of moaning to a place of believing and from a place of assurance, and when there is a place of assurance, there's an next place you 're in a place of expectancy. Yes. By faith, we know that we are loved and forgiven. By faith, we know it. We believe that God loves us. By faith. We know that God's forgiveness by faith. We give to the poor by faith. Why? Because the poor cannot repay you. You have to give by faith. Please write down this. Faith is trusting in the Holy Spirit to establish everything that Jesus said he would do. Faith is trusting in the Holy Spirit to establish everything that Jesus has already done. He's already done it. But it's the Holy Spirit that establishes it in your life. And that's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. Technically or theologically, we all know what Jesus did on the cross for us. It's the Holy Spirit that makes it a reality in our lives. You can't ignore the Holy Spirit. God gave the Holy Spirit to make the cross a reality in your life. And that's why it's a constant walk and constant dependence on the Holy Spirit. And God, I trust you that you will manifest what you did on the cross by your Holy Spirit in my life. Romans chapter 4, verse 21. This is what the Bible says being fully convinced that what God had promised. God was also able to perform, and this is concerning Abraham's life, being fully convinced. Abraham finally came to that place. He didn't get there overnight. It took time for him to get there. It took a process for Abraham to be fully convinced of just meditating and hearing what God had to say to him through visions, and God was speaking to him. He was fully convinced that God is, what God had promised that God is able to perform. In verse 23... It says, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. The comparison is made with us and Abraham or Abraham and us. That is not just for Abraham, but for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up for our offenses and raised because of our justification. By faith. Let me ask you a question: How many of you believe with all of your heart that God looks at you absolutely free from all sin? You're like a saint in God's end. You know what? By faith, He justified you. Uh, next Sunday, the next yeah, next Sunday what next to foundation is water baptism. You what you thought water baptism and what it is are two different things. Come prepared. You know what? We must know that we are justified. Justified means just as if I had not sinned. Can you, you know, that's enough for me to start singing and worshiping God. Yes. Without John and without the instruments. Can somebody shout an amen to that one? And so when they tell me they sang the song, I said, oh, they did. I don't know what song they sang. But I know truth that inspires me to worship God. Truth. And please listen to the songs. They're truth also. <laughs> I think this is stamp stand before God and sing. Because of Jesus, I'm justified. Stand before God without guilt, without shame, without condemnation. I'm just as if I'd never sinned all because of Jesus. It takes faith to experience that. Now, you know what is the biggest hindrance to our faith? Who can guess what is the biggest hindrance to your faith? Huh? Reasoning. What's the word? How many of you know what reasoning is? How many of you live by reasoning? Don't put your hand up. The biggest enemy to faith is our reasoning. Biggest enemy. I'll show you what the scripture has to say. Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, Cain. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies or the spirit lies uh, lies at the door and it desires and its desires for you. But you shall rule over it. All that God says, Cain. Just offer the right sacrifice, and you will be accepted. Cain says, no. I want to offer the sacrifice I like. I want to do it. Say say, say loudly. Come on, you know what I'm going to say. Say it loudly. I want to do it. Good, my way. But you must accept it. Are there any Cain categories here this morning? We want God to bless us on our own terms. And we think, if we can bring produce from the, from the sheep, And God can accept it. Why can't I bring it from the ground? God says, not acceptable. Faith, you you write this in capital letters. Faith is not something that we have to do what we want. Faith, God gives us to do what he wants. That's what faith is. You can't look at somebody's house and say, I claim this house. That's not faith. You look at some other girl and claim her. If you remain single, I won't blame you. You can't go around claiming things. You are here. God gives you faith to do his will. And when God tells you to do something, that's what faith requires. Faith to do it. There's an assurance that he will sustain you. But Cain didn't want to give up his ways. And because of that, he gave in to the enemy. And then you know the rest of the story, how he brought a disaster into his own life. Since the very beginning of creation, there is only one battle, one enemy that we all have. You know what's the name? You know what's the name of the enemy? It's not the devil, it's reasoning. Your battle, your enemy is not sickness. Your enemy is not poverty. Your enemy is not even your relationships. Your enemy, your biggest enemy is reasoning. And that's how Satan got Adam and Eve walking out of all that God had in store for them. Reasoning. Satan's major weapon he uses against us is through our reasoning. He gets you to reason with the Word of God. And if you ever start reasoning with the Word of God, you will start dis- disobeying everything that the Word of God says. Isn't it true? Isn't it true? Talk to me. Isn't it true? The minute you apply reasoning to the Word of God or what God is saying to you, you will walk away in unbelief. Because reasoning and faith don't go together. Say this after me. Reasoning and faith don't go together. Reasoning is the enemy to faith. Faith. And faith is the enemy to reasoning. When I talk about reasoning, I'm talking about human reasoning. Doesn't work. That's why I gave you the example. You're praying and saying, God, provide for me. At the same time, you're thinking, maybe if I save up, maybe if I do this, maybe if I do that, And God must be thinking, hey, you're talking to me and you're already thinking what to do. Why? Because reasoning. Reasoning plays and it kicks in. We're trained to reason. We come to God, and we want to try to reason God. I like what L.T. J. Chandran says. If you get to understand everything about God is and who he is and what he does, it makes God very small. Or oh, he ceases to be God, okay? <laughs> See, God is beyond our understanding, beyond our limit, beyond our comprehension. And that's why it demands us to believe and then experience. I looked up the dictionary meaning for reasoning. Just, just to make sure I'm communicating something. And this is what the dictionary says. Thinking about something in a logical and sensible way. So when you, God inspires you to do something, he says, be logical, say, sorry, I can't. It doesn't go with my faith. Hello? Be sensible, sorry. Are you okay with that? Can you imagine you lay hands on someone and they get healed? What has your hands got to do with that sickness? Can't reason it. That's why the apostle Paul says... To those who don't believe the gospel, it's foolishness. But to those who believe, it is the power of God under salvation. It is. To those who believe, it is. You know, in our time of frustration, in our time of hopelessness, there's an inborn tendency in every one of us, including me, to go back to reasoning and depending on ourselves. Isn't that true? There's inborn ability. It's like this, part of our fallen nature. When we can't see things happen after praying, We resort to reasoning, and we resort to doing something, working it out in our own flesh. Now, here, this man, Abraham, a man, of a father of uh, the nations, or he's the father of uh, faith. See what happens to him. Look at his journey that he goes through in life before he was fully convinced. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Now, look at this deadly combination of husband and wife. Now, Sarai, this is before they had an encounter with God. Abraham, before his encounter, after his encounter, he was called Abraham, the father of many nations. Before his encounter with God, he's Abraham, Sarai and Abraham, Abraham had borne him no children, but, but, he had an Egyptian slave, plan B, named Hagar. So, after Abraham had been living in Canaan, 10 years waiting, no promise coming, no child, Sarai, his wife, Look, the Egyptian slave, Hagar, gave her to her husband to be his wife. Who did it? Who? Sarai. Now let's read what else happens. He slept with Hagar. What do you expect him to do? He slept with Hagar. She conceived. So when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to despise Sarai, her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abraham, You are responsible. You but the wrong, I am suffering, you're responsible. How many of you can identify with that? Well, I did that. I can't I just reflect. You see, eventually, women, you think you know you have a good life and poor dominant. When God comes on the scene, he blames only the man. Eve ate the fruit, man is responsible. He said, I put eve, he- you're responsible for yourself. So we carry a lot of responsibility. I put my slave in your arms and now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. And then what's the solution? May the Lord judge between you and me. Leave you. You judge me or what? You and me. Others. I'm going. Thank God there's a merciful God. Verse 11. The angel of the Lord said to Hagar, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son and you shall name him. What's his name? Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. Look what it says in verse 12. He will be a wild donkey of a man. Hey, when you go for plan B, you're making a donkey. You're producing donkeys. Tell someone next to you, don't produce donkeys. Donkeys is a rare mix. Let's not go too detailed in that. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone. And everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. And that was the beginning of the pre-Islamic world. Can you believe that right then God prophesied of the pre-Islamic world? Isn't it a reality today? Their hand, their enemies are with everyone. All the enemies is there. The hand will be right there, predicted. The Arab nation came as Ishmael. All because Sarai decided to go by her reasoning rather than to live by faith. What is your Ishmael? What is your Ishmael? What are you producing? Which donkeys. <laughs> and every time you applying reasoning, every time you try to work things out in your own effort, you're producing a wild man. You're producing something that will be in hostility towards you, opposing you. And that's how seriously God does it, deals with our reasoning and our self-confidence. The only lesson God began to deal with me, and God still deals with me, is this one tendency of slipping back from trusting God and going into human reasoning. And I noticed a life of faith is a life of constant dependency on the Holy Spirit. Because you can so easy slip back. Whenever we rely on our human, human understanding, we produce an Ishmael. Now look at what God challenges His people in Isaiah chapter 50 verse 10. This is the instruction. This is God's challenge to us today. Who among you fears the Lord? Who is that person who fears the Lord? Who is that one who obeys the voice of his servant talking about Jesus? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Not only trust, but also live in dependence of what God is saying. Now when it says, who is the one who fears the Lord or obeys the voice of the servant who is walking in darkness. This darkness is not sin. This darkness is not bondage. This darkness is about uncertainty. And we all have seasons in our life of darkness. We don't know where the future is going. We don't know the outcome of of what our life is going to be. It's a season of darkness, uncertainty. And he says to them, you hear the voice of the Lord? You fear the Lord? What's your solution? Trust in the name of the Lord. Trust in the name of the Lord. And rely. Trust and rely. Walk in that dependence on his God. Look at verse 11, the outcome. Behold, look, those who don't do that, you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, that means you make your own plans, you have your own methods, your own context, the ones who depend on their own reasoning, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. You know what the difference between God being the light? He's the source. Torches are man, man man-made things. It's human effort that we produce our light. And God's saying, those of you who are walking in darkness, uncertainty, do not know what is going to happen. But you make your own plans. You make your own fires. You light your own ways up. This is what it says. This you will have from a hand. You will lie down in torment. And that's the warning that God gives us and God's given to the people of Israel. You know, sometimes we don't have to blame the devil for everything. We have responsibility of the way we live our Christian life. And that's why reasoning brings us to a place of being self-dependent rather than a God-dependent. He says, you will lie down in sorrow. Look at the warning that God gives us in Jeremiah chapter 17. And this is what he spoke to the people then. It's relevant for us. A very, very vivid picture of what our life will be like. When we trust in our own strength, when we depend on human effort, this is what our life will be. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Your confidence is a man, someone to help you, someone, you know, who do you think of in a moment of problems? Some person, or do you think of God? What comes to you naturally? It says, cursed is the man who trusts in man, who makes flesh his strength, your human effort, your human ability, your strength. When you do that, your heart departs from the Lord. Your heart departs from the Lord. Your heart turns away. That's why I said, if you are trusting God, you are trusting God. There is no trusting God and trusting myself. You either make a choice to trust God wholeheartedly or to trust in your instinct or your wisdom or your strength wholeheartedly. Choose which way you want to go this morning. And it goes on to say, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. That's how, that's how our life will be. Everyone who's listening to me, your life resembles a tree with barren dryness, no fruitfulness in your life. You've been in and out of uh, situations, but no productivity is coming out of your life. This could be the reason. You're so dependent on man, so dependent on your own strength and wisdom. And God says, I kept that picture there for a reason. I want that to be imprinted in your mind. Imprinted. When we talk about faith towards God and repentance from dead works and faith towards God, the one thing that we need to keep repenting from is our reasoning. You heard what I said? What is the one thing that we need to keep re- repenting from? Our reasoning. Our reasoning. Our reasoning. We repent from it. And say, no, God, I'm not going to give into reasoning not given to reasoning. But God, I choose to trust you. The answer for repenting from dead works is faith towards God. That's the answer. That's the solution. If you don't want to produce dead works, Sarai and Abraham produced a dead work, Ishmael, because they didn't trust God. But when they trusted God, they produced a seed. And God says, you'll be the father of many nations, produced a godly one. When God created us, he created us to be interdependent with Him. That's how God created us. We were designed to be dependent on God, and God will be dependent on us to rule this world. Like any good relationship, a good relationship where there's mutual dependence on one another, God has called us into a relationship with Him so that there will be a mutual dependence. God is depending on us to take His word of salvation, to take His message of the gospel to the nations. And he's also, we need to depend on him for his grace, his power, and his wisdom, and his resources. It's an interdependent relationship that we share with God. You know why God made tithing a principle, a biblical principle? Tithing, money, money, money. You know why he made it a biblical principle? Because Jesus said something very profound. You cannot serve two masters. Who are the two masters? God and? God and mammon. God and mammon. Okay. What is mammon? Money. Isn't it profound that God, Jesus said this? Either you will be a slave or you will serve God or you will serve money for the rest of your life. Why do people run after money? It's because money has power to control our decisions. Now, this is another thing for those who want to grow in their spiritual life. Look at how much of your life, how many decisions you've made based on finances. You choose which job you should work based on the finances. You choose which school to put your kids based on your finances. You choose which house to live based on your finances. You choose where to go based on your finances. Every Everything you do is based on your reasoning and your, how much of finances you have. You might as well lift up your hands and say, money, you are the Lord of my life. You are the shepherd. Wherever you lead me, I will follow. Sorry, I'm being too harsh this morning. But, you know what? It's time we looked at truth and grow from this horrible way of life to the abundant life of living by faith. Isn't it true? Do your homework and see how many decisions I inspired. You know, when my wife wanted to leave her job, like I said, you know, hopelessly devoted or hopefully devoted or whatever. I got some corrections there for that. I only asked her one question. When you make that step, it needs to be God, and there's no turning back. 30 30 plus years, 31 years, we'll never look back. Never borrowed from my parents. Never borrowed from her parents. Never borrowed from anyone. And God is my witness. God has been our provider, and we've never lacked. Trusting in God puts you in a position of his blessing, not in a place of poverty. Don't tell anyone I'm living by faith and show one paper, give me something. That's not living by faith. That's asking by faith. Are you okay with that? And that's why God, in order to break our dependency on money, Put a principle of tithing. But even there we manipulate. Well, reasoning is the biggest demon. I'll I'll come to that slowly, slowly. Jesus, the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, bring all. Say the word all. What does all mean? Brilliant, profound. Bring all your tithes. Tithes means one-tenth. That's tithing. Right there from Melchizedek uh, days, tithing was. Melchizedek. Bring all your tithes into the storehouse. That's the place where you worship. That there may be food, there may be provision in my house. And test me now in this thing. Only area that we can test God is in the area of finances. No other area. Test him. God is telling you, giving us permission, test me. Test me and see. I know there are people in this church who walk by this and they've seen the blessing of God. I know it. And you begin to test God. You don't give because you have. You give because you believe. Can you say that after me? I don't give because I have. I be- give because I believe. Tithing is a biblical principle that positions us in a place in order to receive the blessing of God. Let me read on. Says the Lord of hosts, now when you test God and say, God, I'm trusting you with his finances, God says, your act of obedience. Do you know how we receive offering here? You notice there's something very different in the way we receive offering? We receive offering as part of worship. Why? Because worship is an act of obedience. And every time you tithe, every time you give, it's coming out of an act of faith. And if it's not coming out of an act of faith, don't do it. Pastor's telling you, don't do it. That's why I don't have a register with your name and photo who gave tithes and who didn't give for tithes. I'm not even bothered. You know why? Because your giving is unto God, and God knows whether you gave it out of faith or you gave it out of obligation. You're not giving it to please me. You're giving it as a sacrifice of obedience towards God. Somebody shout an amen and get excited about this. I know churches, they give you an envelope on January 1st with the month and the date. They forgot the photo. But you know what? Why do we resort to those things? Why do we? You, people come in, you must be strange. Where's the envelope? Envelopes are the shop. No, we have some down also. But you know what? Whether it's night, whether it's offering, it's your worship to God. It's inspired out of obedience. No one, no one is compelled to give here in this church. No one is forced to give in this church. I don't want to know who gave, little who gave much. That's none of my business. Your spiritual life is a responsibility before God. But look what happens. It says, "I will, if I will not. When you test God and you give by faith, if I will not open the windows of heaven, pour out for you um, such blessing that there will be no room enough for you to receive it. How many of you want the blessing? Put your hand up if you want the blessing. Okay, how many of you want the obedience? Oh, okay. I'm seeing I'm so kind. Of this. If God didn't tell us to give one-tenth of our tithes, I wouldn't be tithing. Would you? Definitely not. We don't tithe because there's a need. We don't give because there's a need. We give because inspired by worship and obedience to God. That's why we give. Now, this gets better. Not only God says when you give, he will open up the windows of heaven, pour out such blessings that there will be no room for enough to receive it. God says one thing. I will rebuke the devourer. Who's the devourer? Satan. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Whose sake? That's the only time he'll intervene between you and the devil. Till then, you deal with the devil directly. But when you begin to honor God with your finances, God says, just, just don't worry. I'll, I'll take care of the devourer. I'll step on the scene. I will rebuke the devourer. For who? For you. So that he, Satan, will not destroy the fruit of your ground. He will not rob you from the fruit of your labor. Nor shall your wine fail. Nor for your work will fail to bear fruit for for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Or so for your work. You know what happens? We earn. And as the more money we get, the more difficult tithing becomes. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, when I had my pocket money, it was so easy to tithe. And then when I had thousand rupees, so easy to tithe. When the money could be, <gasps> suddenly breathing problem happens. You know why Jesus looked at that woman and says, "You've given much," because he knew how little she had, and she gave out of her little, and God, Jesus commended her. Jesus is not looking at how much you give. He's looking at how much he keeps back. Did I say that? Who said that? Where did that voice come from? But that's actually true. It's dependence. Dependence on God. How many of you want to be a giver? It's love giving. -giving. My mom would be so worried. Save them. Save them. I'm a poor salesman. Every time I try to sell something, I'll either sell it less or I'll give it away free. And my mother will think, you know what's the problem with you? She'll tell me, you know what's the problem with you? You get things so easy, so you give it away easy. And I thought to myself, how true. I am one person who cannot say, I earned from the sweat of my brow and I earned every penny. I didn't earn it. God blessed me. And because he blessed me, it's easy to give away a blessing. But if you earned everything, put it in your pocket, hold it there. Malachi chapter 3 verse 12 says, and all the nations will call you, look at the blessing, and all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. What an amazing life. See, God never wants our rupees, by the way. Neither is he impressed with the dollar, but he's impressed when a man and woman stands before him and says, I'm living by faith. I'm not, you know, I tell my I told my wife, I tell people, when you get your salary, you tell God, God, this is not my source. You are my source. I give not because I have. I give because I believe. Yes. Tell me if your life doesn't change. Tell me. It has to change. God is never a liar. He will bless you. And be patient, okay? Don't uh, Next week, nothing came. The Bible says in due season, he will bless you. Wait for the season. He tests your faith. Do you know that patience always grows your faith? If you got something you minute you prayed, you don't have to exercise faith much. But if you get something after three months, your faith is growing and developed and challenged. God wants to grow us in an active dependency on Him. You know, when it comes to tithing, I've heard this so often. Mother people, you're all a lot of good people. I, I, I give my tithe. After all, what will the church do with so much money? So I give to this missionary one, then I give to that missionary one. And then every time I see a poor person, I give to one. Is that right? Is that right? Why is it not right? Why is it not right? I knew you would say, bring it all to the storehouse and the pastor wants to be greedy. You know why it's wrong? It's wrong because it's originating from your reasoning. That's where it's ungodly. It starts from your reasoning. Anything that starts from your reasoning brings forth sin. That's why in the book of Romans, I'll close with that. It says anything which is not of faith is sin. Here's a story, okay. This is the story of Yasmita. The other Sunday when I gave the story, this is her testimony. I've been praying to God to provide me 10000 for my trip to Malaysia. It was difficult for me to save because I never had enough money. Whenever I needed money, God was faithful to provide. But this time, I thought, I will be wise and I'll try and save some money for my trip to Malaysia. So when I heard your message on faith, I was convicted of relying on my own ability. So I told God, okay, I'm going to trust you for your provision. The same Sunday evening, I went to collect some clothes, and the lady at the counter handed, me, handed over an envelope along with the bags of clothes. When I looked at the envelope, it had my name on it and 10,000 in it. So I called the person and asked her about the money and she told me that money is for you. I thank God for answering my prayer. I have no words to express my gratitude. One of the things my parents taught me about what they modeled and one of the things that we modeled, never, never, never borrow. I don't mind going through a day without food. Never borrow. I didn't come from a rich family, middle class, lower middle class family we were in. We had financial difficulties, but my dad and mom would never, ever borrow. And when we begin to borrow and make that a lifestyle, we not only live in sorrow, but we also live free from the blessing that God wants to give you. You don't enjoy the life of faith. And unless you're willing to make that hardcore decision and saying, I'm not going to live a life of boring and depending, I'm going to trust God. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. If I go without food for two days, never mind, I'm not going to die. I'm going to trust God. You know, my first miracle when I came in finances, my first lesson on faith in Chennai, and some of you know the story, I went before God. I was so inspired by George Muller. You know George Muller? Read some of his books. Men of Faith. And I went and made this bold prayer before God. God, I want to be a man of faith. I want to be. If you could do it for George Muller, you could do it for me. You know, God takes you seriously when you say things like that. And he did. He says, okay. I didn't know it was God. Just the next week, someone in the Bible college steals my whole monthly fees. I'm thinking to myself, I wish I made the prayer after this. And I made that prayer, I want to be like Judge And I said to the Lord, I'm not going to borrow, I'm not going to ask my parents, I'm not going to trust, I'm just going to trust you for my finances here in Chennai. One week later when he robbed me of my fees, I was now put t- to test of what I asked God to do. The dean warned me and said, if you don't pay your fees, I'm going to send you home. I'll write a letter to your parents, and then I'll send you home. And everything on the inside of me was so disturbed. Just imagine, I tell my parents, I couldn't pay my fees because someone stole it. Why didn't you ask? I'm walking by faith. I really have to walk by faith. And so I kept quiet. I woke up every day without exaggeration. Three o'clock in the morning, I reminded God of every promise he said from Old Testament to New Testament about providing. Then finally, I realized, hey, he said it. He knows what he said. <laughs> but anyway, I said, anyway, at least it edified me. I needed to be affirmed of what he said. The day came, if I didn't pay it at 12 o'clock, the dean would put my name on the, on the notice board, dues, fees due, and not paid. And I said, God, I have nowhere to go. I've trusted you. And like I said, Lazarus is my great friend in times like this. Why Lazarus? Because he was dead. There's nothing he can do. And I was in that place. There's nothing I could do. So I literally enacted Lazarus. I put a mat down and I laid him. And I said, God, I'm dead. Nothing to, I can't do anything. I have no relatives. I have no friends. I don't want to ask anyone. I've chosen to trust you. And I said to myself, God, if you knew when to raise Lazarus, you know when to provide for me. I just said that. You know. And I kept saying that to myself. Twelve o'clock came. Guess what happened? Can you guess what happened at twelve o'clock? Nothing happened. And then I thought about Lazarus again. He was there for three days. I said, Lord, I'm dead. I, you have to resurrect me. I don't know how, this is, how long I got to wait. But you know what? It was one of the most valuable lessons I've learned that became the foundation of my life. And as I laid there, and I began to communicate to God how, how hopeless I am unless you intervene. A boy walks in, who is in South, from South Africa, Indian, settlement in out South Africa, comes and sees me. Hey, what are you lying to Get up, get up, get up. I said, what happened? Come, let's go eat something. And that we all ready. I said, okay, I'll come. I can't lie like last forever here. He said, come. Before I could even step out of the dormitory, he says, God put this in my heart to give you this, and he put in money the exact amount of fees that were stolen. There was never... Been a day, I've turned back from that incident, it became a foundation. You only have to learn it once, and it's like rock solid of how to live the rest of your life. And I've seen God provide in miraculous ways. I'm going to share one more story that will probably shock you, but let me tell you. If you have a verse written up in your home, write this up in your home, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Live by this word. This must be the word that you build your life of. You will probably know it as I say it. Trust in the Lord with, trust in the Lord with all your heart. What is your heart? Not your physical, how you spell it? Trust him with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. What is understanding? Your reasoning. God says, don't do it. Don't do it. Your reasoning is killing you, bringing you to a place of sorrow. In all your ways, acknowledge him. You want to get married, acknowledge him as a matchmaker. You want finances, acknowledge him as your provider. You want healing, acknowledge him as your healer. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he may direct your path. What he? There's nothing more certain than those few words. He shall direct your paths. Then it says here, second one, verse 7. Do not be wise in whose eyes? In your own eyes, in your own eyes. Okay, yeah, I'll go stand here. Maybe this person will look at me and have a word for me. Or maybe if I go and tell him, can you pray for my financial need? God will speak to him. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't. That's going back to reasoning. That's when he fell. Don't, go, don't look at, at reasoning. Don't be wise. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Which evil? Bible calls reasoning as evil. Depending. When last we repented from that evil? When last week, you know, even when it comes to sin, we try to fight sin in our own effort. That's why you're not having victory over sin. You cannot do anything. There's no place for victory when it comes from our flesh. It's only temporary. God will challenge you. Turn from this wicked way. Turn from this evil way. We must look at our reasoning and our understanding as evil. Are you with me this morning? You like this message? You do. And so, you know what? When you begin to look at this as a foundation of evil, you'll start repenting and saying, God, this brought the world to the, to, brought mankind to a downfall because of reasoning. And I'm not going to submit myself to it. So it says, you know, look at the blessings of it. Fear the Lord. Fear. Live in the fear of God. Depart from evil. Look, the blessing, it will be health to your flesh. You want healing for your flesh? Start trusting in God. It will be strength to your bones. All of those you have otters as your friend, trust God. Otters, you know, otteritis. Otter, hey? short form. Okay, it uh, will bring strength to your bone. Verse 9, honor the Lord with your, with your possessions, with your money, and with the first fruits of your increase. Every time you get an increment, thank God, acknowledge Him, honor with Him. What God says, so your bones will be filled with, filled with, and your watch will overflow with, don't open a bar now because of that. Wine overflow, have a, Talking about the abundance of God's provision. Your bank account. God will provide for you. And God will challenge you to live this way. You know what happened with me? Uh, it happened few, many years ago. I was caught in the situation where a person was so angry with me. For what? I don't know. No, I know for what. Because I told him to step out of the worship team. He was uh, addicted. He was, something that was living an ungodly life. He knew it, I knew it, and I said, you've got to take a break from this worship team. He was so angry with me because I did that, he decided to publish an article in Times of India about me and the church, because he was working as an editor at the Times of India. He came to the office when I was not there. He showed it to the staff, and he says, I'm going to publish this on so-and-so date. And I asked the staff, I said, did, it, did you get convinced when you read it, uh, when you read the, the letter? They said it was very convincing. So they were not giving me hope. At least nobody would believe, I would have felt little encouraged. This was very convincing the way he wrote. I was so troubled. I called up one of the leaders of the church, an elderly man, and I said, what shall I do? I'll return his membership. And the man told me, that's a piece of paper. It will not stop him to do anything, what he's decided to do. And it made sense. No one was giving me hope. There was nowhere I could turn for any solution to how, to, or how I could stop this man from publishing that letter in the newspaper and making a shame of the ministry and my life. We were married at that time. And I did one thing. I went face down before God on the floor. And I cried out to the Lord. And I said, God, another Lazarus situation. God, there's nothing I can do. I can't call him up. He's hostile. He's not willing to talk. He's angry. And you can't win a person who's hurt and offended against you. I lay down. And God said this to me in my spirit. Are you willing to trust me with all of your heart. Are you willing? And then at that moment when I heard the voice of God say that, I came to the place of trusting God with all of my heart. How did I come? I said, God, when I get up from this ground, I'm not going to make a phone call. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to do anything. This is now in your hands. I'm trusting you, and you will direct my path. I did that, and I got up from the ground with an assurance. This is no longer my situation. It's God's situation. Two weeks passed or three weeks passed. The day was about to approach when he was going to publish it. I suddenly get the news. He's admitted in the mental uh, hospital. So mental he got that they chained him and they locked him behind bars because he was so violent. His father and mother couldn't see him. No one could see him. He was locked there because he's mental. He's lost it. And I was shocked. And I'm thinking, what? How can a person so sane... An editor of a newspaper suddenly become mad like that. I didn't rejoice over his madness saying, oh, God punished him. And that's, not, that's not godly to do that. I was just shocked. I'm thinking, how is God handling this whole thing? I'm standing back, and I'm only a spectator. He was at, in the hospital for about three months. And then suddenly the doctors discharged him saying, you're perfectly okay. Not, nothing is wrong with you. You can go. And I'm thinking, the date has passed. He, he, when he wanted to publish that letter, he was locked up in the mental hospital, and when he came out, he forgot about which letter he wrote and what to publish. I stood back and I saw the salvation of God. The salvation. He's still sane, by the way. He's still playing around in different groups and all of it. And I thought to myself, when you trust God with all of your heart, if it means making someone mad for three months, it means... God knows what he knows how to do. I'm not wishing that. Don't please, don't pray that. I don't, but I'm saying, God knows how to intervene, provided we trust God with? 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 No, where? With? and you trust God with all of your heart, there's no opportunity of leaning. This is what leaning is. I'm standing, but I'm leaning. God says, don't even lean. All your heart means nothing, no dependence on anything. And God will bring us in our journey, with, uh, in our relationship with the Lord, so that we will be entirely God-dependent. Thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai-ministries.com.